lands of the Boonarong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We also acknowledge that the first peoples of Australia are the first storytellers, the first artists and the first creators of culture and we celebrate their enduring connections to country, knowledge and stories. Welcome to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma365. Join our hosts, Emily Webb and Carenza Louis-Smith, as we have frank and fearless conversations with special guests about all things mental health and complexity. We recognise people with lived experience of mental ill health and disability, as well as their families and carers. We recognise their strength, courage and unique perspective as a vital contribution to this podcast so we can learn, grow and achieve better outcomes together. We're always talking about, especially in a kitchen, we're always talking about physical health. You know, this is the burn I got from a hot pan during a busy Saturday night service or this is where I nearly chopped my finger off cutting into a Parmesan wheel but we don't talk about mental health. Keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. We've got a good menu. We pull together, we'll be fine. Yes, yes. Chef. We can get beef anywhere. I'll, I'll have it sorted by tonight. Let's move our ass you sort the beans out. Yes, chef. Look how busy we are. Service on table 13. Andy, we're going down. Andy, Andy, Andy. Hey, Andy. Good to see you, mate. Yeah, nice to see you. Hello. Critic, Sarah Southworth, as you know. Hello, love. Hi. I had no idea you were coming. I found you and you didn't get back. Okay, look, we've been reviewed on table four. I need you to switch on, yeah? Yes, yes just, just give me a minute, give me a minute. I've just got so much going on. I've been living out of a suitcase for the past two months. I don't know how you juggle both this and life. No, I don't know what to do. I just want to stop. We'll get through it. Can somebody help me? It's a fun job. you got to concentrate. What do you mean it's not uh, much of an issue? Talk somebody's back. Oh, yeah. you Callie, no. What are you doing? I can't take it anymore. There's a million kids out there who would die for this opportunity. That clip you just heard is from a film called Boiling Point, starring British actor Stephen Graham. It's a day in the life of a head chef, burdened by personal problems. He and his team are facing the busiest day of the year. It's powerful and confronting. I thought of this film and interviews about mental health with well-known chefs when I was researching the topic of this podcast. And a note, the film Boiling Point isn't a feel-good film, so if you're going to watch, keep that in mind. We're going to be talking about mental health and the hospitality industry, and our guest is former chef Alan Tompkins, who is an ambassador for the Burnt Chef Project, which was set up in the UK in 2019 to eradicate mental health stigma within hospitality. Alan was a chef for 22 years before finally leaving the industry he loved after he experienced significant impacts on his mental health. Now he's using his living experience to work in mental health 
and recently started work at Irma 365 as a carer respite facilitator. We'll have links to the Burnt Chef project and other resources in the show notes for this episode. And if you're affected by anything discussed in this episode, you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. Now, here's Alan. 22 years I was a chef for. I was born and raised in Geelong. I never really showed all that much interest in cooking when I was young. Even when mum was in the kitchen, I didn't really spend much time next to her learning anything. Believe it or not, I hated home economics. To be honest, I hated school, but, you know, we have to do it. It has to be done. So people are probably thinking, all right, so how the hell did you get into cooking? Simple answer, it was out of desperation. Once I'd left school, I bumbled around with business studies for about 15 minutes and realised that this really wasn't going to work for me. So it was all out of desperation. I was 23 years old. A lot of my friends were already working and making a life for themselves. And I, at that point, had no real plans for the future. We're talking the era of Kurt Cobain and grunge and angst and hating the world. And that's really where I was at. I stumbled upon a 15-week basic hospitality course, uh, which covered, obviously, bar, floor and the kitchen. During the kitchen part of it, there was something about working in the kitchen that spoke to me. It felt like a little light had gone off in my in my brain. And from memory, I excelled and was seen as one of the more highly proficient students in the kitchen, so much so that the restaurant owner of the uh, kitchen we were using for the course offered me some part-time work after the course finished, which was pretty cool. I don't have many memories because we're going back two decades, so I don't have many many memories of that time, but it was my first first taste of the kitchen. So after that, I signed up for a, a full 15-week commercial cookery course, which was held out at the arena in North Geelong, which is the big basketball stadium. And at that point in time, it was one of the biggest kitchens I had obviously been in. Again, I felt like I was at home in the kitchen and excelled from memory I just felt really, really comfortable for the first time in my life in a job. And really, from then on, I spent the next eight or nine years absorbing as much as I could, learning off of chefs that I worked with. I was always asking questions as I went from restaurant to pubs and back to restaurants. Uh, we're talking the late 90s, early 2000s. There wasn't really a cafe life in Geelong at that time. I can only really think of two or three cafes at that time. So it wasn't really until 2011, maybe, when I moved up to Melbourne, where I thought the cafe life is going to be better for the work-life balance. Although, to start off with, I didn't enjoy the early starts, but it gave me more of a more of a work-life balance. It gave me a chance to uh, pick my stepdaughter up from school and sort of, yeah, sort of lead a, a life that a lot of chefs don't due to split shifts and long hours and um, even split days off sometimes happens in the industry as well. And then fast forward, unfortunately, to early to mid 2021, once we've gone through all of COVID and we're in and out of lockdowns and cafes are in and out of doing takeaway only and sort of losing, you sort of lost your identity a little bit because you were spending more time cooking things and putting them into polystyrene boxes rather than the real art of cooking and then presenting it on the plate is a big difference between presenting on a plate than just chucking in a polystyrene box that you know is going to get closed over and 
pretty much as soon as you've closed that lid, the food's lost its lost its freshness a little bit already. I don't know if it had a direct impact on it, but I had two mental breakdowns in the space of six months across two venues. The first one, I had the opportunity to go back to a workplace that I'd worked in three years earlier, and I thought, maybe I'm losing the spark a little bit, maybe I'm losing my passion a little bit, and I thought, if I went back to to a venue that I really, really loved, maybe it would reignite that passion. I sort of got the sense over the next three or four months that it just wasn't I just wasn't feeling it anymore. And then, unfortunately, I had the the second of the breakdowns. And at that point, I think all the unsociable hours and the high pressure and the hot conditions and the stress had finally caught up with me. I was diagnosed, just to give a little bit more of a background to put it in, in perspective, I was diagnosed with poor mental health when I was 17 or 18 years old. I will say the more I've sort of reflected on it, in the last year or so, I think, and I'm going to do a, um, I do a lot of blogs on my uh, Facebook page. I'm going to do a blog in the next few days covering how I felt my poor mental health held me back a little bit in my progression. As much as you see chefs being very um, flamboyant and confident, I always, I think, held myself back just due to a lack of self-confidence a lot of menu ideas or specials ideas I wouldn't put forward just for that fear of fear of rejection. And I think that sort of led to me sort of getting a little bit frustrated through the years with the industry. I sometimes sort of compare it to trying to do something with one hand behind your back. I just felt like I just was not being able to give my full 100% because of my poor mental health. When you discovered that when you were 17, was that through professional help or was was it just an awareness that things weren't okay at the time? Like, how did you manage that? Uh, It was diagnosed. And of course, being, what are we talking, early 90s, there was just no real awareness of it at all at that time. I did a lot of analysing of whether or not I may have been slow at learning, slow at picking things up, or even the opposite, whether that was leading to you know, my sort of lack of self-confidence. Mum took me to see a few specialists and uh, that's when the diagnosis was was found. You know, and I always thought I was different to everybody else. I wondered how people could be so happy and bouncy and really, really enjoy life. And I spent a lot of my time sort of just just struggling. And it felt like I, I, was, in, um, I was in quicksand a lot of the time, just didn't feel I was giving 100% of what I what I could have given. The diagnosis was, was major depression and anxiety, which, of course, hearing the word major at the start of depression sort of, again, because we didn't have internet or anything back then, there just wasn't, there wasn't that real awareness. So it just came down to me at the time, medication and just, you know, the occasional checking with psychiatrists and psychologists and sort of trying to talk it through, which, to be honest, I don't have much knowledge of what was involved. But I think we were just basically, at that point in time, I think we were just trying to get me to get me to sort of come out of my shell a little bit and gain that confidence. Again, being so long ago, I don't have a full sort of memory of what was happening. It was probably something that 
it's probably a memory I didn't really want to hang on to anyway. I think I got to the point where I realised that this is the way it is and I've just got to work with what I've got, so to speak, and work on what I've got, try and be as successful as I can. And I was thinking about what you said previously about the stereotype we have of chefs. And I recently watched an incredible film called Boiling Point with the British actor Stephen Graham, which is actually, for listeners, it's a very dark, it's a very dark film. And, you know, he's a head chef and it's fair to say he's got a lot of problems. It's like a day Mm -hmm. day in his life and it's really stressful to watch, but it's very powerful. And of course, there's a film Burnt with Bradley Cooper, you know, another chef who's had drug and alcohol problems, goes, comes back. And I think that people do understand that being a chef is an enormously pressurised job. And there's also the celebrity chef thing. There's always been celebrity chefs, but it's sort of gone on steroids of of recent decades. You mentioned that you didn't fit the kind of out there personality, but was pressure in that structure, which I imagine a, a, a kitchen is very structured and I have worked in hospitality, waitressing and stuff, so I, I've seen it. Yeah. Is that something you thrived on or gave you a bit of scaffolding for your life? I think it did because, as I said, I sort of got into cooking out of desperation, basically wanting to get away from sitting in my room listening to loud music and pissing my parents off. It gave me something to do day to day and I liked the – as you said, I like the structure of it. I like the organisation of it, even though my partner would say I'm very disorganised. And even now, now that I'm not chefing, every time I step back into a kitchen to visit a, a buddy or something, there's a certain buzz about being in a kitchen. And I think that'll probably always be with me. It's just an amazing industry and you sort of get really involved in it and for a long time there, it becomes your life when you're doing 16, 17 hours a day and you see your see your um, loved ones maybe two or three hours a day and then you're off to bed. So it pretty much becomes a second family and it becomes, as I said, it becomes your life. And cooking is it's very unique because you get instant gratification. There's nothing better than empty plates coming back to the kitchen, even something simple as that or, you know, waiters and waitresses coming back and saying, oh, table 15, love their meal. Or even better, when a customer takes a minute out of their night and comes up to the to the pass and just thanks you for an amazing night. I think that sort of gives you that, that motivation to keep going with the long hours and the hot conditions and, you know, working when everybody else is having fun. I've had the luxury of the last couple of years of not having to work in a kitchen at that busy Christmas, New Year period and it really has been a bit of an eye-opener just to sort of realise that at this at that time of year I could actually be relaxed and, dare I say, be normal. But yeah, I just think we absorb the pressure and it's just the way it is, the way the industry's always been. You either love it or, or you don't. I think that's the key too. You can't really go into it half-assed. Half it's, it's an all-or-nothing industry and that's kind of what I'm. I'm a very all-or-nothing person. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And you did mention previously that you had two significant episodes with your mental health in the past few years. What was the end of your career? How did it finish? It was a tough one because obviously having the breakdowns and then sort of coming to the realisation that it is quite possible that I would never step foot back into a kitchen. I don't know what was what was the deciding factor. I think really sort of 
analyzing where I was at and what had happened, I realized that it was it was time to to hang up the apron. And of course, because I'd had the breakdowns, and then there was all of a sudden it was just going to be that that great unknown as um as I've said, cooking is all I've known for 22 years. I was now taking taking that leap into something else, which in hindsight was a very brave decision to make, especially the frame of mind I would have been in at that time. It was an interesting time. I could have gone either way. I think I could have spiraled out of control, but I had that I had that awareness of my own frailties, I suppose, to be able to sort of work on my strengths and just ace, as we'll touch on soon, just a simple podcast search one day of chefs and mental health was about to completely change my life. How did you know something was, you know, significantly different about the way you were feeling? One thing I haven't mentioned, I actually started uh, Cert 4 in mental health during COVID. One of my hours went from 40, 50, 60 hours a week to at one point, I think I was doing nearly 12 to 20 hours a week because we just weren't sure how long the COVID lockdowns would last and, you know, the cafe I was working in at the time, we just weren't sure where it was all heading. So I'd always wanted to, because as early as 2019, 2018 even, I had this dream of working with chefs and their mental health. So I thought a logical step would be to do some study, which was good because I was able to learn a lot about mental health, which in turn I was then able to learn a lot about myself and being able to spot the signs that things weren't right in myself. So it sort of worked twofold, even threefold, now that now that I'm moving forward. I was starting to let little things get to me, things that I normally wouldn't, just little things that were happening day to day in the kitchen, just feeling really tired for no reason was always a big one. I'm a huge overthinker, which is part of my diagnosis. My brain was just continually going and another huge part of my diagnosis is I always reflect or look at the negative things that are happening rather than the positive yeah, I was just letting little things get to me and I was getting irritated a lot. I think I, at that time, because of the whole chef for 22 years, I've got nowhere to go, et cetera, et cetera, I just kept ploughing on, which I think then sort of intensified and really led up to, especially the second breakdown. I think I came to the realisation where it's just it's just not working for me in this industry anymore. I could take you to the the cafe I was working in and show you the exact spot where I just lost all idea of what I was doing. I was standing there at the stove and just something had clicked and I just did not know what I was doing, where I was. I'd come to the realisation that I needed to move on and step into the unknown, I suppose. It's a little bit dark, isn't it? No, hey. It's it's the reality. It's the reality of people's experience. The reason that I, I came to contact you was I had been for quite a while reading about the Burnt Chef Project and it started in the UK and there's ambassadors in Australia and the United States. And the Burnt Chef Project has been really positive for you and has led you to looking at changing your career and working in the mental health services sector. 
So tell us about how did you find out about the Burnt Chef Project and what, what is it? This, this is a really, really simple but beautiful story. Basically, once I got back onto my feet, I started um, talking to a life coach who hosts his own podcast. He's got a very, very frank – his podcasts are amazing. It's hilarious. So we're talking September 2021. I was doing a, I was doing a, a lot of walking at the time for my physical and mental health leading up to an event that's held in October every year by the Black Dog Institute called One Foot Forward. So I was doing a little bit of, I suppose, training for that. So I was doing a lot of walking and normally I'm listening to music, but once I discovered my, uh, my life coach's podcasts, it was one day I was walking and I thought, you know what, I'm going to put chef's mental health into a podcast search. And the first thing that came up was the Burnt Chef Project. So I thought, okay, all right. So I clicked into it and started listening to the podcasts and was sort of hearing people talking about things I'd experienced or things that maybe only I had been going through. So, of course, instead of continuing my my long walk that day, I raced home and just started uh, Googling the Burnt Chef Project and got onto their website, read what they were doing, and I thought, oh, my God, this idea that I had back in or this dream I had back in 2018, 2019 about working with chefs and their mental health, these guys are actually doing it. And I thought, I have to be involved in this. So what is the Burnt Chef Project? I'm going to quote it word for word from their, from their website because I like to keep it accurate. Uh, so the Bird Chef Project is a globally recognised not-for-profit social enterprise. It's fully committed to making hospitality profession healthier and more sustainable by focusing on people's well-being first. So one of their main aims is to build the capacity of owners, managers and employees through training to enhance the awareness of mental health and open conversations. So I thought, well, I'm just going to email the Burnt Chef Project. What, what, what's the worst that could happen? I'll just email them and say, look, I'm in Australia. I love the idea of what you guys are doing and I would like to either be involved or start something similar here in Australia. I got an email back just thanking me for, obviously thanking me for emailing them so far away. And they told me about the ambassadorship, which to be honest, so they directed me to that anyway, and I read through it and I thought, oh my look, yeah, I've, I I need to be on this. I think I pretty much I pretty much applied on the spot. I think from memory, as soon as I'd read it, I thought I really need to be involved in this. And I thought, surely there'll be more ambassadors. The more I read it, I'm surely there'll be more ambassadors in Australia for the Burn Chef Project. But as I found out when I was announced as an ambassador in December 2021. I was actually going to be the very first ambassador in Australia for the Burnt Chef Project. Now, for someone who lacked self-confidence and was very introverted and obviously a little bit, shall we say, damaged from having to step away from the industry, it was a great honour, but I felt like I had a lot of hard work to do. I think if my figures are correct, I think there's 27 million people in Australia and 8% of them are in hospitality. To begin with, had absolutely no idea where to start, but something clicked. Something about this organisation 
the more I read about it and the more I read about the lack of real mental health awareness in hospitality in Australia, something changed in me where that lack of self-confidence, the introvertedness, if that's a word, when I get to talk about this topic, it's just completely gone. It sounds great. It's like when you find something you're really passionate about and a purpose where you can use your living experience. It just is yeah, amazing. Yeah. It really sounds like it's rolled out for you that way. What kind of things have you done in your ambassador role so far? I just started putting my stories out there and trying to make people realise that stigma attached to mental health doesn't need to exist. We need to, we need to talk about it. We're always talking about, especially in a kitchen, we're always talking about physical health. You know, this is the burn I got from a hot pan during a busy Saturday night service, or this is where I nearly chopped my finger off cutting into a parmesan wheel. But we don't talk about mental health. And I just thought, you know what? I don't want it to be like this anymore. Another thing, being very introverted, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to host an information session. I'm going to invite people and just talk about me, talk about my struggles and then lead it all into talking about the Burn Chef project. So I decided the best place to start, I called it a, I called it a trial run or a dry run. I did one in June last year. I held one in Geelong at a, a venue I'd worked in for 15, 16 years earlier. And the reason I chose it, apart from it being a bit of a landmark, that was actually where I had my first hospitality-related breakdown. There was actually one day I can still remember to this day my then partner had to actually ring my work because I couldn't actually physically go to work. I remember sitting there on the couch and just thinking, I can't do this today. I can't do it. I just lacked any little bit of self-confidence I might have had for some reason at that point in time was, um, was just non-existent. And it was also a little bit before that event, the head chef at that venue actually took his own life. There was no signs because no one knew how to spot signs. Now that I've done a little bit of education, I sort of see little snippets. So it seemed like a no-brainer to do the first session there. And it, it was just amazing. Absolutely. I remember driving home after it, back up to Melbourne, pouring down rain. I hate driving at the best of times, let alone at night when it's pouring down rain. But I just had this huge, huge smile on my face. And it was just, I was just buzzing. I think there was maybe 40 or 50 people there. And I, f I felt like they were, they were just hanging on to every word I was saying. And I had a lot of people coming up afterwards and saying, oh, I want to be part of this. I've signed up one ambassador from that night. And there's one more. Once she's got the time to, uh, to finish her application and sort of work out how to fit it into her life, she's definitely going to sign up as well. I actually had her do a little piece at my second event because I wanted to – I'd made a huge impact on on what she was doing with her life. I suppose following her dreams in the end and um, it was a special moment. I then – I'd done a podcast with uh, food writer Danny Valent, which was, was really, really good. Again, for some reason, the self-confidence that came out and – I actually remember listening back on it and thinking, geez, I actually sounded professional then. So that was pretty cool. And then there was a write-up the day after the event. There was a write-up in the local paper in Geelong, the Geelong Advertiser, just sort of, again, just 
promoting what I was trying to do and that was what kept pushing me as well. I thought as much as I'm passionate about it, all of a sudden people are, are relating to me, relating to what I went through. And that's the whole part of it, just trying to normalise mental health struggles. And, of course, you are making a change in your, in your career and, and looking to work in the mental health space. And I think that's going to be incredibly powerful. So how do you feel about this change? I am very excited because, I mean, just the little buzz that I've been getting from, you know, hearing from complete strangers that, you know, I've sort of had an impact on them. As we come to the end of the discussion, what do you think think are the most pressing needs for people's mental health who work in hospitality? I think there just needs to be more awareness. When I do my, when I do all my events, I I make sure that I say that I am not a counsellor. I'm not here to act like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I just try and give people a few little tips to be able to understand their own mental health because everybody has mental health. I don't think a lot of people know that they that everyone has mental health. It's just where you are on the continuum as to whether you have good mental health or poor mental health. I really think owners and managers need to take some form of responsibility for their workers' mental health. I think they need to understand the long hours, the split shifts, and the workload. But I think one of the key the key things is I think owners, especially head chefs, need to maybe have a, just a basic understanding of mental health, being able to know how to spot little changes or little signs in, in one of their workers that there might be something there that they need to address. I think the most important one is to know how and when to have a conversation. And I think owners and managers... They need to have an open door policy where we can talk about mental health. Restaurants and, and venues need to maybe promote mental health a little bit more, where, whether it be posters in the break room or in the kitchen, which um, Burn Chef Project can supply. I think it, just, it, it does just come down to, as well as you've got to work on your own mental health, you just need that, that as much as they always say, oh, it's a family industry. Sometimes we just need to treat the staff as we would our own our own family. One of my other things is, again, I'm very big on statistics, but for every $1 a restaurant spends on mental health, they get $4 return on that investment just because a happier worker is going to be more productive. They're going to promote the venue more, so you're going to get up sales and and, and things, and there'll be less absenteeism because apparently, again, me and my figures, Australian hospitality loses $12 billion a year in absenteeism and mental health problems because hospitality is seen as being a very manly, toxic type industry. We tend to hold our feelings in a lot and just not not really express how we're feeling and it's time to change that a little bit. I mean, my, one of my whole plans is to to get into culinary schools and talk to apprentices. It goes hand in hand. It's all it's all part of it. And um, as I said, the happier the workers are, the happier the customers are going to be, and everyone will benefit from it. If you've been affected by anything discussed in this podcast 
you can phone Lifeline on 13 11 14 or go to lifeline.org.au. We'd love you to share Get Real with your family and friends. You can also rate and review Get Real on your preferred podcast listening player. Your reviews help people find us. Irma 365 provides specialist support for people with complex mental ill health and disability. Established by consumers in 1982, today Irma 365 is proud to deliver services across Victoria and in the Northern Territory. Find out more at www.irma.org. That's E-R-M-H-A.org. You've been listening to Get Real, talking mental health and disability, brought to you by the team at Irma 365. Get Real is produced and presented by Emily Webb with Carenza Louis-Smith and special guests. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.